Welcome to the Array of Faith podcast, where we shed light on the beauty of our spiritual and religious differences. I'm your host, J. Dana Trent, professor of world religions and critical thinking at Wake Tech Community College in Raleigh, North Carolina. The Array of Faith podcast began as a way of connecting with Wake Tech students and beyond during this difficult time of pandemic. As a teacher of almost 10 years, I enjoy bringing guest practitioners into my classroom to help shed light on textbook academic theory and give students an opportunity to connect with real life practitioners. Due to the pandemic, we've been unable to invite guest practitioners into the classroom. So we began Array of Faith as a way of connecting with their stories, experiences, and hopefully enriching students' lives in the process. Welcome back everyone to the Array of Faith podcast. I'm your host, Jay Dana Trent, and I'm joined today by Gorlani Das, our co-host and producer. And most importantly, for episode five, we have a delightful guest, Miss Sajda Newby. Sajda Newby is a friend of Wake Tech. She has been on campus many times to visit our classrooms, and we've known each other many years. Ms. Newby is a practitioner of the Islamic tradition and was born and raised into the faith. She was raised in Durham and belongs to the local Muslim community and also serves as a board member of a mosque and Islamic outreach center in East Raleigh called the Inc. Institute. She is currently completing her last year at Hartford Seminary as a candidate for the Master's in Islamic Studies in Christian Muslim Relations. Her MBA comes from NC State University, and she also holds a bachelor's degree in communication studies from Carolina. She has worked in the pharmaceutical research industry for the past 14 years and currently works in clinical operations management at a biotech company. Miss Newby, welcome back. We are so glad you're here. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. Oh, well, you are, you are such a friend of our students and now a friend of this podcast, (laughs) current times when we're pivoting. And so I am very eager for the students to get to meet you in quotes, I'll put that in quotes in this particular medium. So I know when you are in the classroom and we're all together, we always start with the practitioner's spiritual and religious journey. So would you be willing to share that with our students? Yes. Um, So I was born and raised um, in the Islamic faith um, by parents who were actually converted into Islam from Christianity. Um, As African-Americans, many first-generation Muslims like my parents converted in the 1970s um, through the Nation of Islam that was led by Elijah Muhammad and then eventually Louis Farrakhan. Like many African-Americans at this time, the Nation of Islam appealed to my parents because it, you know, used elements of the Islamic religion to promote Black liberation ideas. So after several years um, in the Nation of Islam and learning more about the religion itself, my parents eventually transitioned into what is now known as Orthodox Islam or sometimes referred to as Sunni Islam, in which the term Sunni comes from the Arabic term Sunnah, which means the practices and customs of the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him. So Sunni Islam is the Islam that I grew up 
and practiced in my household and it is the Islam that I hear to today as an adult. However, growing up Muslim, you know, and I've heard this from others who also grew up Muslim at some point as an adult, you know, you do have to choose the faith for yourself. Mm-hmm. And so I had this moment probably sometime in college where I set a new intention for how I wanted to live my life and consciously chose Islam as the way of life for me. So I've been, you know, practicing Islam my entire life and uh, here I am today. Great. And I love that. I really appreciate this story about intention. And I think because our students are in college, they're exploring, they're obviously taking this course. That's a really important moment in a young adult's life. And so can you tell us more about before we sort of get into the framework of Islam? What what did that intention look like, whether it was, you know, in practice or in thought or in feeling when you made that decision in college? Um, It was a combination of all of those things. I mean, it was first, of course, thoughts, you know, I had to think about, you know, how I was raised and the beliefs that I was raised with. And, you know, I needed to kind of reconfirm or recommit that these are things that I actually believe and not just things that I was told as a child. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I had to really interrogate those things and make sure that this was the way of life that I wanted to live. And, um, and so it came with also practice, you know, so not just the internal belief, but meant recommitting myself to the practice of Islam, which, you know, we'll get into later as far as all of the customs and, you know, rituals of the tradition. But it was it was a combination of all of those things and determining that, yes, this is how I want to live. And it was literally like a restarting point or like a recommitment for, for myself. Oh, wow. That's great. I think that's a really useful piece of wisdom for our students, especially right now when things are so chaotic about revisiting beliefs, interrogating, you know, we usually think of a negative connotation, but I think of curiosity, you know, questioning, going deeper as not being a negative thing to have um, a time in your life where you do say, okay, is this what I believe or not? And then setting the re-intention of the practice And so I really, I'm grateful that you brought that up in particular, because I think a lot of our students are at that point in their lives as young adults. And so for students who are studying these beliefs in our REL 110 class, we use the Oxford University Press book, Invitation to World Religions. And each chapter, whether it's indigenous traditions, spiritual traditions, religious traditions like Islam, is approached from a three question academic framework of ultimate reality, where do we come from, way of life, how should we live given the ultimate reality, and ultimate purpose, where are we going? So if we apply all of these questions to Islam and we can start with ultimate reality, what does that look like in terms of core beliefs? So ultimate reality, that's a really good question, especially as Islam frames it. So, you know, in Islam, you know, you know, our faith, it does actually address this question of ultimate reality, and it actually addresses it in the Quran in several places and in several ways, as well as the Hadith. Um, So this is really how I have come to learn the answer to this question, because I, of course, grew up in the faith. So just to give you an example, using a verse or verses from the Quran, um, and how God addresses this question of ultimate reality. So there's a verse in the Quran when he, you know, God, or how we, you know, we call him in Arabic, Allah, when he is challenging those who reject him and his signs, he asks, he asks the question, where, 
were they, they referring to those who reject him, were they created from absolutely nothing or are they themselves suggesting they are creators themselves or did they create the heavens and the earth? So here in this verse, Allah is really like challenging his believer or challenging his creation to use logical reasoning as evidence for his existence as the creator of all things. When he asks his creation to explain where they came from or how the heavens and the earth were created, he also says in another verse, show me what they created from this earth. Show me proof. So here, you know, he mentions the earth specifically because the earth is that which is witnessed. It is that which we can all see with our eyes. So in several places in the Quran, he mentions the signs you know, of the earth, such as the mountains, the oceans, materials from the earth, the sun, and the moon. And he's essentially imploring his creation to take a look at the things around us and ask, how do we explain that which we can see? And as well as that which we can't see, such as the heavens, mm -hmm. other than the only explanation is that there is an ultimate creator with ultimate power. So the origin of humanity, you know, kind of takes the same theological path in which, you know, Allah is the creation of all things. Mm -hmm. So even in the Quran, Allah provides textual evidence for how he fashioned the first human creation, which is Adam and Eve, which is something that, you know, is familiar in other, you know, mm -hmm. um, faiths as well. So in several places in Quran, he states the human being was created from the earth, you know, from dried mud-like clay, fired clay, and that all human beings are descendants from the two people. People created by Allah, which are, you know, Adam and Eve. So, you know, this, uh, the idea of where we come from is heavily addressed in the Quran and as well as our Hadith um, in multiple places and in several ways. And, you know, essentially Allah in many places in the Quran is really challenging us, his creation to say, you know, look around you, could, who else could have created this but me, you know, somebody with ultimate power. Mm. And we talk a lot about creation narratives woven into various indigenous spiritual and religious traditions. But what I love about the evidence that you've just cited from the Quran is that as students listen to these podcast episodes, they've heard from Dr. Breton, they've heard from Reverend Yuboa, now they're hearing from you. There, in terms of our three Abrahamic practitioners, there are many textual overlaps in the sacred narratives wherein God is presenting evidence for ultimate reality. And you just gave a beautiful example. And I think many students might be surprised to hear you say Adam and Eve, and they think, oh my goodness, that's a that's a that's also a text in my tradition, right? So we have these beautiful overlaps within the Abrahamic faiths of the holy books. And I'm also thinking about um, the book of Job in particular, too, when Job is suffering and God doesn't give Job an explicit answer for Job's suffering, but rather says, look around you. You know, did you did you make the cosmos? You know, I'm the creator. I'm the maintainer. Um, you're finite. I'm, I'm infinite. You know, it's impossible for you to, to realize the meaning of all of this with a finite brain, but it's a real, like you said, moment of power and authority. And so I'm grateful that you bring up those particular portions of the Quran. And for our students learning, chapters in the Quran are called? So they are called surahs, yes. Yes, and then hadith is something different. So before we move on to way of life, and this might transition to way of life, for our students who might be a little bit confused between Quran and Hadiths, um, what can you describe that for our students? And maybe that leads right into the way of life of how should we live question. 
Yeah, so it, it does actually. But hadith are um, collections of, you know, sayings, teaches, teachings, and practices of the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him. And so in the Quran, we're actually um, um, commanded or uh, re- required to follow the way of our prophet Muhammad as he was known as the best among amongst us. So, you know, you know, it is believed in Islam that you cannot have, you know, a complete picture of Islam and Islamic law um, without uh, both Quran and Hadith. So these two things really go hand in hand. Mm, Okay. That makes perfect sense. And when we get to what this looks like and in, in for a human being living in 2020, you know, soon to be 2021, what does the way of life encompass between the Quran, the Hadith, and then for a person living in, in the modern world in the Islamic tradition? Yeah, so just to take a step back to kind of, you know, kind of connect it to that original question, and then I can go into, you know, the way of life, so it'll make more sense. So, but, you know, given that, you know, uh, the belief in Allah, right, as our, you know, our understanding as this, as the ultimate creator of all things, including us, the human being, our ultimate purpose here on earth is to worship God and God alone. That is our purpose, Mm -hmm. you know, but there's either, there are, are also some Islamic scholars who actually understand this to go beyond worship and devotion to God. You know, it has been said by one Islamic theologian that a commitment to worship is the highest form of love, Mm -hmm. but more than worship and devotion, there is ultimate servitude, which is a manifestation of complete love, which is a consequence of the beloved's perfection. So understanding that Allah, you know, is perfect and having this deep belief in one's heart would only lead someone to want to submit fully to God in his command. So mm-hmm. that is where we and, and I as a Muslim understand how, you know, and you know, how we live our life. Mm-hmm. And so Islam is said to be an actual way of life because the religion does provide, you know, prescriptions for so many ex- as- excuse me, aspects of how we live. You know, it's a very structured way of life, you know, as it includes daily rituals, such as our five daily conical prayers that, you know, start at sun up all the way till the nighttime or fasting during the month of Ramadan every year or giving charity um, to how we dress, including men and women. We have a dress code to how we speak with manners, to how we treat one another, our family, neighbors, community, and how we honor and respect ourselves. So there are are innumerable examples of the different prescriptions for how we should carry ourselves. However, what I think is important to know and what I've kind of hinted on already is that much of our life comes from the example of our prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him. Um, Again, as described in the hadiths. So in the Quran, you know, um, Allah really, you know, implores us to follow his example because he tells us that he is your best human example. Mm -hmm. And so we have him and we have the stories from him And so, you know, I, as a practitioner of Islam, I do consider the prophet's way, you know, as I move through my day to day life, you know, how we even perform the ritual prayer is something that came specifically from the prophet Muhammad. It wasn't in the Quran. It was specifically from the prophet Muhammad. So even the, the, um, you know, the movements we, we make and how we're supposed to stand in prayer, all of that comes from the prophet Muhammad's examples through the hadiths and even our character and all of that is, is about embodying the prophet, being kind, being generous, being honest. So, you know, and, and, and even for activities that some classify as worldly, you know, the idea is that everything we engage in should be done with 
the intention to please a lot, whether it be going to work or spending time with friends or, you know, working out or exercising, all of these things are considered a form of worship when done with the intention to please a lot and done in a matter that, that aligns with the prophet's example. Mm, that's so beautifully said. And, and that really does make it a way of life, literally, in that the intention is there in everything you do of worshiping God and doing so with a heart of devotion. And so given the ultimate reality and way of life, a human being is born, you know, into a Muslim family or converts to Islam and they encompass this way of life and they live a very good life. What then becomes the ultimate purpose in the Islamic tradition for when humans die? Right. So there, you know, I want to start with um, a saying by the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, where he states, you know, to the believer, be in this world as if you were a stranger or a traveler. So, you know, there's definitely this understanding in Islam that, you know, our presence here on earth is very temporary. Um, you know, this life is considered a test. You know, it's a test for how we live up to our ultimate purpose here on earth, which is, you know, again, the complete servitude to Allah. So we believe every soul will see death. You know, death is the separation of the soul from the body and our ultimate destination is the hereafter. You know, that is our eternity. There will be a day of judgment, a resurrection of every human where all creation will stand before God and be judged on how we lived on earth and what we contributed. So the internal dwelling place for mankind as determined by Allah will either be heaven or hell. And we believe that, you know, we will all dwell in either one of those places. Mm. Yes. Which is also, you know, we see this in various Abrahamic traditions as well. But I love the idea of a traveler, of, of yeah. moving through this life, um, which I think goes, goes straight into our next question, because I think all of us are feeling a bit out of place, if you will, if I can sort of use that phrase of how it feels to live during a pandemic. It's, you know, at least for, for you and me and our generation, we've never experienced anything remotely like this in terms of a health crisis. We certainly have had other societal crises, but how has the pandemic affected you? And maybe even all three of these categories and these core beliefs, um, including your practices and your community. Yeah, I mean, so this is, you know, pandemic is definitely, as you mentioned, new, you know, new territory. So, you know, there's several things I would say to that. You know, one, I would say, you know, this pandemic, at least for me, has definitely been a test of faith, you know, a test of patience and a test of where I find ultimate peace and happiness. You know, the test of faith piece comes in from understanding, you know, or trying to remind myself that, you know, Allah is in control of everything and nothing happens without his permission. So understanding the pandemic in these terms kind of helps with the patience of it all and all that comes with it and trying to be cognizant cognizant of this and being careful, like not to curse or damn this time that we're in or the whole year of 2020, because, you know, I have a knowledge, trying to remind myself of the knowledge that as humans, you know, we, we don't know everything. Our knowledge is limited and understanding that Allah knows all things. And there may be things that, you know, I can learn or benefit from or grow from because of the experience of living through a pandemic pandemic. So I've been trying to tap into that a lot, but also with so many social activities being eliminated due to the pandemic, it also forces a, a real introspective look, you know, in kind of on, you know, what, 
internal things I have been using to bring me fulfillment and how I can turn inward and find that fulfillment with God. Because as we see from this pandemic, he is the only thing that is constant and he's the only thing that we can really rely on. So, I mean, you know, that is one piece that I've really been trying to kind of, you know, hone in on with this pandemic and it's been, you know, kind of a change. But as far as the practice and community life, I mean, you know, as I touched on earlier, that has inevitably been impacted. I mean, we went through, you know, we just had Ramadan and back in the month of May. So our entire community went through the whole month of Ramadan, mostly in isolation when typically Ramadan is a big community affair with communal dinners and nightly congregational prayers and other social activities that occur during that time. And immediately following, we have our religious holiday in which that was also limited with activities. So, you know, that was a very big difference. But again, you know, trying to draw on what I mentioned earlier, it really forced me to like alter my perspective and learn to find joy in what is present in the way in the way that we had to adjust and find new alternative ways to the norm mm-hmm. and not to focus so much on what I can't do or what I perceive is missing. Mm, that's very well said. And I think that that's wisdom that our students can also lean on. And that's been a recurring theme too of this idea of and, and I love the way you put it, you know, instead of cursing 2020, looking, turning inward, turning toward, towards God, focusing on presence and practice as really being the fruit of this time, even though it's a very difficult time, but what are the, what are the ways in which we can learn from one another, learn from our spiritual life, c- cultivate deep, deep empathy for one another. It's really, um, there's a lot of growth in there. Like you said, I really appreciate your naming that. Um, and, and calling us, I really, I haven't put it that way, but I'm really grateful for you, uh, reminding us that this year is still a gift, you know, no matter what. Um, and I know, I think Goravani has a question too. Yeah. So, so, so I, I really appreciated, um, how you talked about, um, devotion to God, devotion to Allah. And based on my very limited reading of Islam, um, much of that, uh, uh, seems to extend from, um, a theological concept of the oneness of Allah. I was wondering if you could talk about your understanding of that and and maybe further elaborate on how that um, ideally should impact um, one's day-to-day life. Yeah, I mean, you're absolutely right. I mean, so that is huge, you know, it, at least in within our um, Quranic scripture, oneness is, you know, emphasized a lot, you know, that there, there is no uh, association or partners with God. There is no um, intermediary between us and God. It is worshiping God and God alone. And that is really just uh, paying, you know, uh, tribute to the, 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 all of the qualities of God that no one else possesses is acknowledging who God is, what his ultimate power is and all that he has given us, you know, um, here on earth, you know, he created us. So there is some you know, there is gratitude in that, you know, there is an appreciation for him giving us life, him creating this earth. So, you know, speaking about this ultimate devotion, it's like when you have this understanding that there's this only this one supreme being that holds all of these attributes that no other being on earth holds, then, you know, naturally, you know, you will feel um, that this is the one person that 
you will give your ultimate love to, which ultimate love will be reflected in your ultimate devotion, your ultimate servitude. So it is, it is rooted in that oneness because he is one that, in, you know, only has all of these attributes. And in Islam, you know, we um, say that Allah has 99 attributes. You know, I won't go through all of them here, but it's just to, it's just to indicate or highlight all that he is from any other being on this earth. Mm. Mm. Oh, that's great. Thank you. That is, that is. Wow. And very comforting, very comforting to think of the oneness of God and all of those attributes that we can lean on right now in these times of chaos. Yeah. And, I, and that leads us to, to our final point. And it's, you know, as our students are navigating all of this, it's heavy. And I know just hearing from you and hearing your wisdom, it will uplift them and it will comfort them and hopefully make them a bit more curious too. I think about the tradition, if they aren't already familiar from, from having friends or, you know, visiting the masjid, what wisdom do you have for college students right now as they continue to explore spirituality and religion? Yeah. So when I think of like wisdom, you know, that I can impart, you know, I think of an important concept in Islam, which is sincerity. Um, this is a very key principle in our faith because sincerity for us is about purifying our intentions. And so anything that we embark on, you know, we are told to do it for the best of reasons and to always be purifying your intentions, even in the middle of a initiative or in, in the middle of where whatever you're pursuing, always continue to renew your intentions and make sure that they're being done for the right reasons. And the belief is that, you know, every person should get that which they intended. So you want to make sure that your intentions are good. So as you know, I think about student, students journeying on through their own spiritual path, you know, I think it's important to have, you know, pure intentions so that you can give yourself space to receive whatever good the world has in store for you. And you don't want your, you don't want any poor intentions to block, you know, uh, receiving any good, you know, spiritual, you know, enrichment or spiritual guidance that the world has for you. Very well said. And that really goes back to full circle, back to your experience at Carolina of sort of, of resetting your intentions towards the faith that, that um, navigating of your commitment to this particular belief system which has so much wealth of wisdom for all of us. And I'm so grateful for your sharing it and, and for these wise words for our students. And I really look forward to, I know you're finishing up your degree right now. Um, and I'm excited to hear about your final project and your current work. Is there anything you'd like to share about your graduate work right now at Hartford? Yeah, I'd really like to hear about your, your project. So you mean that my thesis? Yeah. Um, so it's actually still in the rough stages, but, um, I, you know, being that I'm an African American Muslim and that we are not largely in an invisible community, um, you know, a lot of my work is going to be around how to make us more visible, mm. you know, to how to give us more voice in this, you know, in society and how we can contribute you know, kind of our unique position, because we are in a very unique position, you know, we have this legacy, you know, of being African Americans, but we also have the faith of Islam um, that came from the East, but we have a unique position in the West. So just how we can use these two identities to kind of contribute to society, but also contribute to some of them, kind of the present day issues that are going on around us and how we can be a unique voice for that. So that's, you know, kind of where I'm going. That's, 
you know, it's, it's being fleshed out. So I'm sure it'll slightly evolve over time, but that's really what I want to speak to. That's incredible. That is incredible. I can't wait to hear more and read about it too. I'm very excited. And there are some be also, you are incredible as always. You're, you just, you always bring a smile to my face and grateful for you and the, the way, the many ways in which you move about and live in the world so intentionally and faithfully, and you are an inspiration to all of thank us. You. Thank you so much, Dana. I really appreciate you having me on. Thank you for being here. We're so, so grateful. And friends, thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed this amazing episode with Miss Saj Janubi, our Islamic practitioner for this semester. This is the Array of Faith podcast, shedding light on the beauty in our faith, spiritual and religious differences. I've been your host, J. Dana Trent, professor of world religions at Wake Tech Community College in Raleigh, North Carolina. Thank you for joining us.